embedded in the first book of the Bible, Genesis specifically chapter 8, verse 22, is such a profound statement. It's, a, it's a, an abiding principle. It's a biblical truth that you could actually see reinforced in nature. But God who created nature, nature reacts to God's initiation. But yet in nature, we see these truths in Genesis chapter 8, verse 22. And uh, we'll read it out loud together. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, and cold and heat, and summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease. Okay? So seed time and harvest is something that I think we need to keep in the forefront of our thinking. Jesus said that in the Gospels, he said, you'll know all the parables by this parable, that the sower sows the word. And I like Luke chapter 8, verse 11, when Jesus described and broke down the definition of this parable. He said, now the, the parable is this. The parable is this. A parable is an example that we, we experience in our human lives to understand a deep spiritual truth. So Jesus comes and talks to farmers about agriculture, and they get it. He talks to fishermen about fishing, and they get it. He talks to Matthew, the tax gatherer, about, uh, you know, whose inscription is this, and, uh, and Caesar and so forth. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And God does this, and he brings parables so we in our human existence can understand his deep spiritual truths. So he says the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. The seed is the word of God. Now, this gives us an incentive to obey Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, and let the word of Christ dwell in us richly so that we could teach and admonish one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in our hearts to the Lord. And this is, of course, an example of it is in a moment where a pastor is ministering the word to the congregation, but it also can be for a husband talking to the wife or the wife bringing a word of encouragement to the husband and so forth or carrying something to a coworker, where we just have the word of God so instilled in our lives and we, we spend our lives spending time with the Proverbs and with the Psalms and you know, it's, we're to speak one, to one another in Psalms. When Paul and Silas had trouble in Acts chapter 16 in, in Philippi, they began to minister to the Lord with hymns and worship and with psalms and so forth. And God caused an amazing thing to happen. Everything we see here in this church is the result of the word of God going forth. I'm the product of the word of God. A person sowed the seed of the word of God into my life and it turned my whole life around. I was listening to Pastor Craig Groeschel from uh, Oklahoma City. He talked about when he was in college, he was such a rowdy kind of athlete guy, jock, kind of, I think, frat guy. And he just kind of was living out there in that level, those levels he describes of his recklessness. But that somebody told him the word of God. And it so inspired him that he put together the U version and made it available on the internet in order to get the word out because he's so encouraged by the word of God affecting his life that it made him want to keep perpetuating the word of God. And I feel that way about each one of us, and this is what compels me to keep reiterating this message, because we're all, in fact, assigned to be carriers of the seed and sow the seed. 
And I want to go to Ecclesiastes right now, just before I go to James. I'm going to spend most of my time, and not very long, but most of my time in uh, James chapter 3. But can we go to Ecclesiastes chapter 11? And this starts with verse 4, Ecclesiastes 11.4. So you go to Psalms, and you go to Proverbs, you go, where is Ecclesiastes? I'm glad you asked. It's right after Proverbs. Now you know where Ecclesiastes is. Now you know how to pronounce it. It's a good book. And it talks about sowing. Cast your bread on the surface of the waters and so forth. And then it says in verse 4, it tells us about reticence to sow seeds or reap based on the conditions of the external. And I want to explain this to you. It says, he who watches the wind will not sow, and he who looks at the clouds will not reap. I've noticed seasons in my life where God was mandating that I do things, and as I referenced how horrendous the battle was, how hard the wind was blowing. I noticed I was hesitant. So the Bible says we need to make it our practice not to just look at all the natural elements. We need to lift up our eyes and keep looking to Jesus. And the world needs us to be fearless with this and to be constant with this and not base whether we should sow or reap on the circumstances But because it says a farmer wouldn't sow the seed if the wind was blowing because the wind would pick up the precious seed and it would blow away. So they'd wait until it was more calm. Neither would they reap if it was raining and if there were clouds because if you reap during a time of rain, then the the crop, whatever it may be, would get wet and therefore would mildew and be ruined. So the devil will see to it that the winds are churning and the, the waters are churning. But yet we... Keep sowing in faith. And we realize this, the word is the seed, and we keep sowing the word. I think about seeds that were sown that took a while to grow. I think about Nancy's brother, Mike. I think of him often. He was a wonderful man. Just how he came to know the Lord at a late season in his life, because of you guys and the atmosphere you've created in this cultivation of seed time and harvest and of sowing and reaping, You know, we're not just doing church and being religious, per se. We are the church, and we're keeping our eyes on him with this prospect that there's always going to be seed time and harvest. It's just always, we reap where another man sowed. And and I I feel very strongly about that. I feel responsible for those that have come up before me, that paid a price. And I feel responsible for the people that are coming up after me that we need to make sure we do our part so they'll pick it up and they'll be grateful for our generation. And I I think about this concept, and it goes on to the, it says this about sowing. It says, let's see, let's go to verse 6. It says, sow your seed in the morning and do not be idle in the evening. I thought about my day today, and I talked to Patsy. Patsy and I, we've said, man, we get a lot done. And I feel like it's eternal life on our lives. When you get Jesus in your life, in real, authentic Christianity in your life, not only will we have the anticipation of life after death and eternity, and I was just with a man who got saved because of our productions. I was at his hospital bedside today at his assisted living home today, on my knee, talking to him about this. And he's getting ready to go home and be with the Lord. And he got saved in this atmosphere, you guys. Because we do those plays, and he came to watch his grandchildren. It's the first, you know, the only time he's, you know, he comes to church. He comes to church, he starts to experience the truth of the gospel, yeah. not indoctrination, not 
brainwashing, not mob mentality, but the power of the seed of the word of God. And we sow it, we sow it when the wind's blowing, we sow it when it's raining, we sow it when it's sunshiny, we sow it in the winter, we sow it in daytime and night. In fact, it says here, and I think about this concerning like devotionals, for example. I want to put you in touch with taking time to sow into your spirit and just having moments with God. And I don't want to mystify it where it's like, oh, you got to spend, unless you want to, if you really want to enjoy a deep life with God, you got to spend hours and hours every day in prayer. Hours and hours every day in prayer is ideal and great, but if you're working 60 hours a week, you got to figure out how to be deliberate and create moments to spend time with God, and then practice and share and flow in His presence all the time. And I believe in both. I believe in intentional, deliberate, slipping away, closing the door, getting alone with God. Jesus even did that. Jesus, who enjoyed the best closest, most intimate fellowship with God of anybody ever, more than Moses, more than Abraham, unhindered, uninterrupted fellowship, also would often slip away. And he would sow to his spirit. He would sow to his relationship with God. And he would meditate. We know for sure Jesus meditated on the word of God as a child because when he entered into ministry and the devil was attacking him, he used it is written as a weapon to combat the deception, the darkness, and I, I noticed that last song, I want to really get that song down into our memory as a church. That last song about who we are in Christ and what he tells us we are, that's sowing the seeds back into our spirit of what the devil's tried as the accuser to pull away from us. Additionally, as we know who we are in Christ, we know what his word says and we know something about it and we're sowing morning, noon, and night, we're going to increase the potential for a harvest. Want to see more people healed? Pray for more people to be healed. You want to see more people saved? Sow more gospel into people's lives. You want to see more results in your finances? Just give more. You want to see more maturity come into your Christian life? Crucify your flesh. Sow to the Spirit. You'll reap life everlasting. Like we're doing right now. So look what it says here. Let's continue with this. It says, Sow your seed in the morning and do not be idle in the evening, for you do not know whether morning or evening sowing will succeed or whether both of them alike will be good. <laughs> so it's like we need to sow in faith. In fact, and I want to go to James because it says the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So I want to go back now as I've laid this foundation. The word of God is the seed. The sower sows the word. Genesis 8:11. As long as the earth remains, there's going to be seed time and harvest. So let's just stay with this thing all the way to the end. Let's just keep sowing. Sow with a view to righteousness, it says in Hosea chapter 10. Reap in accordance with kindness. Break up the fallow ground, for he's about to rain righteousness on you. I have learned, and I appreciate revivals. I'm a person that studies history. I'm a product of a moment of revival in the late 60s, early 70s. I get it. All of the tone of Christianity was changed in, in the first five or so years of the 1900s, all of Christianity, not only its complexion, but its depth, was brought into a restoration toward the early church model that sincere Christians all aspire to. And I believe those kinds of fine tunings can happen and, and do happen and will happen. So we're poised for that and we look and we trust God for that. But in the meantime, we keep sowing, we keep reaping, and because of that life sown in 
seed sown and that confidence and faith, it turns things around. It turns things around. James chapter 3, I want to talk to you about seeds. And the way I want to break this down is it's important that we understand our place as people who carry anointing-laden truths, the Word of God. And as we're carriers of the Word of God, and we're endeavoring to be led by the Holy Spirit, we just keep sowing. We just keep sowing. We just keep believing. We just, and we're always waiting to put in the sickle and see when there's going to be a harvest. So James chapter 3, it asks the question. It starts out, James, the Lord's brother, poses a question. The last part of this chapter, this chapter is about the tongue and the power of words. And the, remember, the seed is the word of God. And life and death is in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruit. And uh, we have in our ability, it says earlier in James, from the same fountain, we shouldn't have bitter water coming out with sweet water. Uh, we, with, we don't use our mouths to bless the Lord and then curse men. We have to understand some responsibility with our words. Life and death is in the power of the tongue. And the tongue is like the rudder of a ship. It's very small, and yet it directs the entire vessel. So the tongue, there are horses near out here in Wild Horse Creek Road, and I see the horses, and sometimes the people will put the bridles on the horse, and thankfully now a lot of these people wear helmets while they're riding their horses, and I think that's a good idea. But I watch them with these giant horses. Some of them are pretty big. We have a couple by our house that are pretty big. And uh, they put a little bitty bit in a horse's mouth, and they'll steer this giant beast with a little bitty bit. So we can actually precipitate words of life, or we've seen in recent days the exercise of the exertion of words that have caused agitation and upset. I feel like I need to get you into the power of using your words to be a peacemaker. While you're turning to James chapter 3, it asks this question. Verse 13, who among you is wise and understanding? Who among you is wise and understanding? Now, let me ask you, does anyone in here aspire to be wise and understanding? That would be a good thing, wouldn't it? To actually be someone that, that person, that man or that woman, that kid has wisdom. And that person has some understanding. I talked to a couple people today I needed to just sit down with for work out an issue. And I know they're people of wisdom and understanding. That's why I had the meeting with them. Because I wanted to listen to their perspective. Because in the multitude of counselors, there's safety. And um, you want to, over time, develop wisdom and understanding. Because the opposite of that is dumb and stupid. And none of us want to have a case of dumb and stupid. And I don't know if you're like me, but I need all the help I could get. So I, I want to steer away from dumb and stupid, and I want to move toward wisdom and understanding. Am I with anybody? Am I in the right room? Okay. So then it says, who is wise and understanding among you? Now, we already learned from James in the first chapter that if any of us lack wisdom, we can ask from God, and he will give us wisdom. Young people, you can have wisdom past your chronological age. And in fact, in Psalm 119, it says, because whoever the writer was that meditated on the word, he said he, was, he wasn't boasting falsely, but he said, because I'm meditating on the word, I'm even wiser than my teachers. Now, what does that mean? Is that like, I know more than you, sensei. I've got a triple black belt, and you only have a double black belt. No. When I was in metal shop in the ninth grade, the teacher got up and astounded me. when I was. He got up in class, and he said, now, listen, everybody, I'm going to teach you these variables, 
and some of you are going to become better at welding than me. And that's my intention. He said, I'm pretty good at welding, but I'm going to give you the fundamentals. But some of you are going to take off, and you're going to be better. By the end of the class, you're going to be better than me. I thought, wow. And, and, and see, so God wants to pour out wisdom on us. And he's, in fact, he, he doesn't withhold it. He's not holding it back. In fact, the Bible says, if any of us lack wisdom, let him ask of God, listen to this, who gives to all men generously, the King James says, and upbraids us not. And that means he doesn't go, uh, or I don't really, you asked me for this too much. You can't outdo this or overdo this. The Bible says wisdom is the principal thing. I'm a husband. And I, we've been married for now for a few years. And, it, you know, I remember, like, I would say things and I would think, oh, man, I wouldn't want to get that back. And Patsy would even say, you know, that was a dumb thing you just said. <laughs> and she wasn't belittling me. She was coaching me. It was like, I know, I, I could feel it when I said it, but, I, but you're telling me it was, it was even dumber than I thought. So, you know, I want to be wise. I want to be wise. You know, you, you, we need, the Bible says husbands need to live with their wives in an understanding way. This goes both ways, and it goes in all directions in the church. We need to learn how to flow where we're super authentic, unfeigned, sincere love for the brethren. Let the love of the brethren continue. And be very, very genuine and very honest and very direct, but also very gracious and very peaceable. And uh, it says, who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. Wow. Wow. Let him show in his good behavior. Behavior. It's a lot of study on behavioral science early child development and behavior. Behavior is an outgrowth of the inner workings of our lives. And the first thing he says is, you want to be known for being wise? Let it translate into your actions. We are a practical movement. We're not a theory-based movement. We're an actuality-doer movement. In fact, the Bible says something about this. By your good works, you'll silence the ignorance of foolish men. And this verse is saying, if you want to Exhibit wisdom and understanding. You need to show in your good behavior, your deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. And I think, and we don't have to turn to it, but in Galatians chapter 5, verse 20, Paul articulates the deeds of the flesh, and then he talks about the nine fruit of the Spirit, which are up on the wall here, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We're talking about the gentleness of wisdom. In 520, in the middle of it, one of the deeds of the flesh are outbursts of anger. And I've been watching in the public discourse lately, like you probably have, provoking kinds of things moving into the public discourse in the dialogue between dissenting opinions. And instead of it being mature and uh, governed by courtesies, it's become, it's entered into a dimension of harshness. So there's really, this is why I'm alerting you guys as believers, because you're the light of the world, you're the salt of the earth. And God has designed us to go out there and make a difference. We're culture changers, world changers. Did you know that? We're change agents. We're catalytic. We're like the, the, the platinum, the precious metal that just a little bit of it on the exhaust systems of vehicles has transformed noxious, vapor, noxious fumes into harmless vapor. And you can see whole cities that because of catalysts, the fluorocarbons have been cleansed out of the atmosphere and things have changed. 
So we're called to be change agents. And so right here, you want to be known as wise and understanding? Seed bearers, listen. Let him show in his good behavior, his deeds, and the gentleness of wisdom. And then it says a breakdown here. It contrasts worldly wisdom, wisdom that's earthly, sensual, and demonic, and God's wisdom. And I want to go right into verse 18, but let's read through here. Verse 14, if we have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in our hearts, it says, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. So bitter jealousy, selfish ambition, where there's jealousy and strife, there's confusion in every evil work. This wisdom is not that which comes from above, but is earthly, natural, and demonic. I've been with people and I've talked to them and they've gotten demonic. <laughs> it's intense, man. But even Peter got demonic when he said, oh no, Jesus, don't die on the cross. And he said, no, get behind me, Satan, because you savor the things of man and not the things of God. So we've got to watch it because as long as we're in, in these earthly bodies, we've got to crucify our flesh, walk in the spirit, so we're not yielding to the flesh. Who in, who in here understands that? You yield to the flesh, it's goofy. But if you walk in the spirit, you'll not fulfill the desires of the flesh. That's why we're spending time. God's word is spirit and it's life. That's why I'm preaching this word to you. It says in verse 16, it says, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. This verse 16, this is one of the three 16s in the Bible. I just shared Colossians 3.16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. John 3.16 is awesome. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. But now here is James 3.16, and it warns us that where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there's disorder and every evil thing. When we yield to strife, it opens the door to the devil. And so we got to close it. We've got to learn, the sooner the better, to not give place to the devil. So it says that in Ephesians chapter 4, very clearly at the end of the chapter. And then it goes and articulates, put aside all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, abusive speech, and so forth. So this is something I feel God's really breaking open for us in this teaching on seeds. If we can learn to get up in the morning, sow to our spirit, get over the tendency to just sit there glazed and really press in through the midst of our tiredness, through the midst, midst of all the distractions, we keep pressing on with God. There's something on the other side of this called put in the sickle because the harvest has come. And so some of you that have grown weary and well-doing, some of you that have gotten fatigued and tired, hear the word of the Lord. Don't let your guard down at this hour. Might be the 11th hour and the 59th minute, but man, what an amazing difference this one next minute will make. Stay in the game with this thing. Keep trusting God. Keep asking for wisdom. And let it show in your behavior. Your deeds done in the gentleness of wisdom. I've known some volatile people. I talked to a man today. Spent time in prison. Went through some harsh stuff in his life. Came from a broken home. And he was telling me that somebody, he overheard somebody, there's a, this person that he works with that's a very innocent and gracious person. Young young mother, young, about to be mother. He said, some, I heard somebody cuss her out the other day. And, and, he, he, and he was rearing up. And he said, I, I just wanted to defend her. And I said, yeah, well, that's because you're a guy. And we have a sort of a rescue knight in shining armor type of thing. And we, out of principle, don't like to see 
the, uh, the vulnerable victimized. However, we don't take matters into our hands on the flesh and because and, it just doesn't help. I remember Archie Moore came to my Boy Scout troop and he was an amazing prize fighter. He had a great career and he came to talk to us young kids. And he came in and I found him to be so gracious and so gentle and so humble. I was expecting a warrior or a gladiator. And he, he said, listen, guys, don't use fighting. He was telling, telling people it's better to work through a situation like with, and with these kinds of terms than it is to just start kicking and keep kicking and scratching. And I was like, wow. And it really had an impression. I was probably 10 years old. Wasn't church. And I don't know what his Christian, where his background was, but I'll tell you, I felt like it was really powerful. And uh, the Bible says, the Lord's bondservants should not be quarrelsome. And it says, where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has God, not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? And so who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show, let her show, let us show his deeds, his behavior in the gentleness of wisdom. King David said, your gentleness has made me great. Now, there, there are times you just got to step up. There are times, you, you know, that you, that you just have to bow up, but not as often as we think and not in the same way that our flesh would like to. And you could, we, you, we could actually forfeit our moment by yielding to aggression and hostility and strife, and it could kill your point. And I'll read some of these verses to you. Proverbs 25, 15, for... By forbearance, a ruler may be persuaded, and a soft tongue breaks a bone. A soft tongue breaks a bone. That's interesting imagery. I'm thankful I grew up under a guy that had a, he had a e very even temperament. And um, the Bible says not to associate with an angry man, or you'll learn, you'll learn his ways and become like him. And so, you know, be angry, but sin not. Anger is not a, anger is not a sin, but if we let it get, Go crazy. Like the, the guy, he said, man, this guy, this person was cussing out this girl. And I, and I said, yeah, but that wouldn't have worked. He goes, no. And so there just has to, I think this is an era, a necessity for great diplomacy. A great move of God is about to happen. And we could prep for it by dialing back our volatility, our reactionary tendencies, and drawing from the fruit of the Spirit gentleness, the fruit of the Spirit, kindness, and also thinking before you speak. I remember hearing a preacher say this. Have you ever been in a conversation that was heated or there was some conflict and you drove away and three, four, five, six, seven, eight miles later, you were thinking, I wish I had said this. He said, that's the flesh and it's a good thing you didn't say it. And I thought about it from the years and I thought, that's right. Well, I give you a piece of my mind. Well, good thing you didn't. So, here we are right here. The wisdom from above, verse 17. Let's go back to James chapter 3. The wisdom from above is first pure, then it's peaceable. We, we get purity and the necessity to be right and wrong and black and white and be good is good and evil is evil and be black and white with that and purity about that. But right in there is peaceable, peaceable. And then it says gentle, very similar to peaceable, where it's, it's moderate, it's appropriate. I've watched people do this. I watched President Reagan and Speaker of the House Tip O'Neill 
total opposite ends of the spectrum politically, but they were mutually respectful. I wish we had that again. But we can't really wish we're going to have to pray, and then we're also just going to have to hunker down and do it ourselves. Because when we just project it on everything else, it's like, well, we, we can't expect the world to act like they're saved. We need to pray they'll get saved. We need to pray mercy will triumph over judgment, and that, that buffering and love will counter the caustic toxicity. We could pray this. I mean, you, at work, you could see something escalating. You could step back and just start praying and kind of just say, just start sowing seeds of peace. Because look, look what it says here in verse 18. Well, first it says, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. Verse 18, the seed, this is what I want to get over to you tonight. The seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And I really believe God's speaking this to me. I really want to get, get a hold of this because, and I want this more importantly to get a hold of me in my future interactions, in my situations that I'm put into, where it's like, I am not going to be overcome by evil, but I'm going to overcome evil with good. And it, it says in James 3 earlier on that the, the t tongue is impossible to tame in human power. So we need Jesus. And with, this is why we get our minds renewed. And this is why then we actually can bridle our tongue because why would God say bridle your tongue if it was impossible to bridle your tongue? He does tell us in human power, it's not something that a human being can tame. If we pack ourselves with the word of God, we let it dwell in us richly. We speak the truth in love. It says in, in uh, Ephesians chapter four, uh, it'll produce something. In, in, in fact, the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Matthew 5, verse 9 says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. There's, there's something powerful about being temperate, being moderate in a situation, being a peacemaker. It'll turn things around. And uh, we engage with this, we get a hold of this, it's going to foster some greater things. Proverbs 16, 21 says this, the wise in heart will be called understanding. The wise in heart will be called understanding. And sweetness of speech increases persuasiveness. Now, I'll tell you what that, I don't think that means. I'll, I'll tell you what it doesn't mean, and I'll tell you what it means. Schmarmy, sappy manipulation is not what that means. It doesn't mean just talking like that. Oh, yeah. People don't like that. That's annoying. Because remember, the, the wisdom from above is first pure. That's kind of, that's creepy, man. That's the church lady on Saturday Night Live. Isn't that precious? That's, <laughs> but on the other hand, what is sweetness of speech that increases persuasiveness? What did Mary Poppins say? A spoonful of sugar will help the medicine go down. Let's just look at this just for a moment. This, the fruit of, the righteous, of righteousness is sown in peace. The seed whose fruit is of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. The Good Speed translation says the harvest uprightness yields must be sown in peace. The harvest of uprightness, it says in the Williams translation, yields, the harvest uprightness yields is grown from the seed of peace. So Jesus is the prince of the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. And what did it say in the Beatitudes? Blessed are the peacemakers. 
There is an opportunity for us. If you want to just start to develop something, let them show in his good behavior his deeds and the gentleness of wisdom. Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show. What I get out of this in practical terms is that when James questions the concept of wisdom and understanding, uh, he goes right in and says, he quickly says, the truly wise and understanding people that are going to leverage and make a difference in the world are people that move in selfless good works, that, that walk in a giving, gracious behavior. I heard it said that you could either be a here I am person or a there you are person. God, I believe Jesus spends, he works on us for a lifetime to have us turn from being selfish to being selfless, learning how to prefer others. Paul told the Philippian church that uh, not only be caught up in your own interests, but in the interests of others. So this practically applies. You know, charity starts in the home. So in the first layers of our relationships, we get to, we get to practice this with our loved ones, and we get to demonstrate this in practical terms. The other approach is earthly, sensual, and natural, and demonic. I've watched people driven by envy, jealousy, hostility, manipulation, and what happens all around about them is disorder and every evil thing. And uh, if you've done business with people like that any length of time and you've had them reoccur in your life, it'll get you praying for them. And uh, pray we must. But also, we need to not react in the same way, but we need to learn to discipline ourselves. Take a deep breath. Be calm. Lean on God's wisdom. Tap into those rivers of God in our hearts. Now, what would Jesus do? Remember that in his steps book that was written? A guy wrote a book, novel, Christian novel, so many years ago. He forgot to get the copyright redone. It became popular. People started printing the book and making money themselves. It was, while it was upsetting to him, it spread the book around all over the world in a bunch of languages. And what it was was a newspaper guy was thinking he was establishing in a town what would happen if people asked the question, well, what would Jesus do? Remember the WWJD bracelets that came out, those silicon bracelets? Well, it was prompted by this book. I think it was from the 1800s, wasn't it? It was so many years ago. I think it was Charles Sheldon that wrote it. It's kind of like, what would Jesus do? I heard people belittle that, make fun of that, and what would, you know, they named stand-up comedians do and all that stuff. It's like, man, that you just botched that. But... What would Jesus do? Jesus would, you know, that's so then you go back in the Word and you look and see, well, what, how would Jesus handle this situation? And that's a good question. You know, Jesus turned it over the table of the money changers, so we, well, he got, we, we'd braid a thing and go whoop people. Well, he didn't do that all the time, and it was an occasion that was very specific, and people were capitalizing on people ex expressing their faith, and, you know, he got mad there, but he, Jesus... Jesus didn't revile in return. When he was reviled, he didn't revile in return, right? So Archie Moore, this is what he introduced to me back there and so many years ago in the Boy Scout meeting, probably about 18 kids in there. Here's this former prize fighter. I found out he lived in San Diego near where I lived. That left a lasting impression on me. He basically said, boys and girls, even though I could put a whooping on everybody, I don't fight outside of the ring. It's a sport. He was saying, hey, man, don't misunderstand this. This is just a sport. I don't do this <laughs> with conflict resolution, right? 
Let's all stand up on our feet. Let's read this out loud together. It says in verse 18, the seed, let's read this out loud together. The seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Let's read it again. The seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Put your hands on your sternum. Pray that supernatural stirrings of God in your heart. Right now, Lord, I pray that you would help us. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and all these kinds of things be put away from us. Put a guard on our mouths that we wouldn't sin against you, Lord. Help us, Lord, to not let bitter water come out of this fountain, but the, the lips we praise you with. Help us, Lord. Put your hands up near your mouth. God, put a guard on our mouths that we won't sin against you. Help us, Lord. Let the words of our mouths and the meditation of our heart be acceptable in your sight, Lord. God, I ask that you help each and every one of us to be able to address the situations we're about to face. Help us to move in supernatural wisdom, Lord. Help us, Lord, to move in wisdom and understanding in the gentleness of wisdom in our behavior. God, I pray you help husbands and wives to catapult in development 10, 15 years ahead right now. I pray they dodge and avoid strife and hassles or dark places and I pray you help them to flow and resolve and get along amazingly I pray a supernatural health on all the marriages I pray supernatural health on all the families I come against oppression I come against devils I come against torment I come against anxiety and heaviness I just ask for a supernatural grace pouring down in this place right now in Jesus name I want you to turn around and find somebody. Just ask God's blessing on them, wisdom to come upon them. Let's just spend a moment praying for one another. Right now, Lord, we ask for details to come to people that need answers, wisdom at work, wisdom on how to conduct themselves, what to do, Lord, with their finances. I pray a fresh anointing and soul-winning fervor in our lives and in our church, a fresh stir up the fires in our hearts, Lord. Fresh passion in our hearts, Father, in the name of Jesus. Father, we trust you. We trust you, Lord. Jesus, we trust you. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for favor, Lord. God, I thank you. You lead us in an excellent pathway. Thank you, Jesus.